Hey, this is Andre Butler, pastor of Faith Experience Church. You're listening to the Faith Experience Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this message helps you engage your faith and experience the future God has for you. Today we're continuing the series we began last week called Level Up. Was anybody here last week? Anybody enjoy last week? Of course, we started by simply asking the question, do you feel like something is missing in your life? Do you look at your life and, and maybe feel like you're not on the level that you should be at? And if you're saying yes to either one of those questions, the answer to your problem may be that you just may need to get closer to God. And the good news is God wants you to be closer to him. He says, hey, come close to me and I'll come close to you. He says that if you'll come close to him, that he'll lift you up. He'll level you up. He'll take you to that next level in your life if you choose to have a closer relationship with him. And of course, when you think about church and you think about religion, you often don't think about relationship because somehow or another, we took something that was very real and created something fake out of it. We created a set of rules and and things along those lines that supposedly make up religion when that's never what God intended for his people. What God intended for his people was that they would have a relationship with him. And then out of that relationship, we will live our lives a certain way. So God wants relationship with you. He wants you to not just be a Christian, but to walk with him. And last week, we learned that the first step to doing that is to actually develop a prayer life, just like some people have a dating life. We have a work life. God says, I want you to have a prayer life. I want you to take time every day to just hang out with me. And we've learned that if we will prioritize having a prayer life like David did and like Jesus did and and Moses did and the like, that's when we'll see God level up our lives. Today I want to go a step farther with this, and so I'm going to start on Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. It reads, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Well, notice that Jesus was praying, and clearly he must have been praying in a way that was a little different than what they were used to. Don't forget these guys grew up in a Jewish society Every little boy was trained on how to pray. But clearly, he was doing something a little different. He was flowing a little differently in his prayer life. And they said, you know what? We need to learn how to pray like you pray. And Jesus does not say, no, you can't pray that way. No, that's just for me. Instead, he says, no, all right, let me teach you. Let me show you. This is how you should pray. And one of the things we can really get out of this is that God wants you to know how to pray. That just like Jesus obliged them by teaching them how to pray, God has actually put instructions about prayer uh, throughout the Bible. The Bible is full of instructions on how to pray. And so what I really want to do the next two weeks is walk through some of those instructions. I really want to go through the who, what, when, where, how, and whys of prayer. 
And I want to start by looking at what our prayer posture should be. Because if you're going to be effective in prayer, if you're going to have a, an impactful prayer life, you must have a proper prayer posture. Of course, when you think about posture, you know, we, we immediately think about, you know, how we're standing, right? Most of us had the experience of having a mother or a father or a grandmother or a grandfather, somebody like that, who would tell you to stand up straight. Anybody ever had somebody in your family used to tell you that when you were a kid? Stand up straight. Stop bending over. You know, almost get on your nerves. But why would they do that? Because they understand that there are benefits to having proper posture, right? In fact, I looked up, looked this up online. I was like, I want to read some articles about this. And they said, good posture can increase your confidence. Good posture can produce power, meaning that it actually uh, helps you have, uh, you know, to exude power when you're going and, you know, be, being interviewed or you're doing what I'm doing right now, speaking or things along those lines. Good posture causes your energy level to, to go up. It reduces your stress. It increases your oxygen levels. And maybe most importantly, it eliminates joint and back pain. So we understand having good posture is important. That's why some of you guys just stop slouching and start sitting up straight because we started talking. In fact, I'm preaching like, yeah, I better. St-. Anyway, we understand that there are benefits to having good posture. And the same thing is true when it comes to prayer. If you want to have a, an effective prayer life, if you want to have an impactful prayer life, you must have a proper prayer posture when you come before God. And so the question is, well, what is the, the, the right prayer posture. I mean, uh, Abraham fell on his face before God in prayer, right? And, and Moses stretched his hands out when he prayed. And, and Solomon kneeled when he prayed. And Jesus just looked up to heaven when he prayed. I mean, which one is right? And although all of those are, are good prayer postures, that's not the type of prayer posture I'm really talking about. I like what I found online. One individual said this. They said, the truth is that proper prayer posture is not about standing up straight or whether you kneel or lift your hands. It's about the posture of your heart and your attitude in prayer. It's about the posture of your heart. What is your heart's prayer posture? Today, what I want to share with you is something that will apply to every type of prayer that you will ever pray. It's something that's going to help you to have the right heart prayer posture when you come before God. So I want to start, I want to give you five uh, elements of the proper prayer posture. And I'm going to start in James chapter 4. And the first element of, a, of your proper prayer posture, the PPP. is a posture of humility, a posture of humility. James chapter 4, verse 6 is talking about God, of course, and it says, and he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Well, grace in the Bible most of the time refers to either God's unearned power or undeserved power, or undeserved uh, favor. In this case, it's referring to God's power. And when you go to God in prayer, that's what you want, right? Power. You want God to help you. You may not believe in God very much, but there's probably been a day where you were like, I don't know if you hear God, but if you are, help. 
Don't look at me like that. You know you pray. Some of y'all pray like that this morning. God, help this person drive a little faster so I can actually get to, to church on time. Well, you know, so you, you want God's power to show up in your life, but for that to happen, you have to be a part of a group called the humble. Because God actually resists the proud. So he doesn't give grace to those who are prideful. He actually gives grace to those who are the humble. Then he says, humble yourselves. In other words, God won't make you humble. He's not into humbling you. He says, no, I want you to humble yourself before the Lord, and then he will level you up, right? He'll lift you up in honor. So what does it mean to humble yourself? The word humble here means to depress. It means to uh, bring low. But uh, we could probably go a little deeper in some other scriptures to help us understand what uh, it means to humble ourselves. And in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, Paul says it this way. He says, for I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. The opposite of sober is drunk. So God's saying, don't be drunk. You know, when you're drunk, you, you say stupid things, you think stupid things, you do stupid things. God's saying, don't think stupid things about yourself. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And what's very interesting to me about this and in tying it along with the scripture we just finished reading is that in James chapter 4, he was actually talking to people far from God. And the reason why they were far from God was because they were proud. You know, the one reason why people are far from God is that they think of themselves a little bit more than they, they really should. And God is saying, no, you know, being humble is, is an issue. It, it comes as a result of thinking of yourself in an appropriate way. And in fact, you can notice something about that and that humility is of the mind as well as of the heart. It's about what you think about yourself. And a lot of times, especially in our day and age, when we talk about what we think about ourselves, we work real hard to try to upgrade how we think about ourselves, right? Because people have a hard time thinking highly of themselves. And we, we talk about, even in church, how God wants you to see yourself like he sees you, right? He sees you as more than a conqueror. He sees you as a champion. He sees you as an overcomer. And so you should see yourself in that way. But there are some ways that God doesn't see you that sometimes we see ourselves as. God does not see you as his equal. God does not see you as somebody who is qualified to be his critic. God does not see you as someone who has a better way of handling things than he does. You know, in Job chapter 42, uh, in fact, in the book of Job, we read about Job's trouble that he went through. And it's interesting, historians tell us that a majority of all that happened in just about nine months. It wasn't his whole life. It was just a season. And, you know, during that season, he's whining and complaining. He's... You know, I mean, he's giving you the, the biggest pity party in the Bible that you will ever find. And there's some pity parties in the Bible. Anybody ever have a pity party of your own? Come on, I've had some pity parties of biblical proportions. Am I the only one? But Job has one that I think tops everybody. And, you know, throughout this pity party, you know, he may not have really meant to, but he's really been questioning God. 
And so God finally shows up in Job chapter 40 and verse 1, and it says, Then the Lord said to Job, Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? Then you jump down to verse 6 after Job was kind of like, Okay, God, hold up, hold up. God's not done. He, then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Brace yourself like a man. Because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. How many know that's the, like when your mama call your middle name, you know you're in trouble? That's that kind of moment right there. Keith Andre Butler, you know what I mean? That, that, that's, that's what that is. But it's God. He says, will you discredit my justice and condemn me just to prove you are right? Are you as strong as God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? All right. Put on, like one translator says, deck yourself with your glory and splendor, your honor and majesty. And he keeps going for two chapters. He starts talking about, have you created the elephant? How about the dragon or the alligator? I mean, he, God breaks it all down. Can you do any of this? And finally, Job ends up by saying, I should never have said anything. I repent. I know nothing. And then God says, now pray for your friends. They get healed, and Job gets healed and gets double for his trouble because he humbled himself. Now, thank God we don't have to be beat up like that. God just gave you his version of that right now. Hopefully, you know, you don't get a whirlwind visit later. But really, humbling yourself really means to lower your estimation of yourself to an appropriate level. Humility thinks truth. Pride thinks false, falsities. You know, you ever, you ever play ball with somebody or some sport and they just swear they're the best thing ever? They talk so much junk and then when you actually get on the court with them, you like, you can't even dribble, man. You can't, what, what was you talking about? That's how a lot of us are. Pride is, you know, I think I know better. I, I know better than God. God, you should have did this. And God, you should have did that. And God, God, and how come you let this happen? How, how? And you're going to enter prayer like that? At some point, you need to lower your estimation of yourself. And remember, you're coming to the God of the universe. He created everything you know. He knows more than you will ever know. He knows how many hairs are on your head and on the head of everybody else in this city, in this country, in this world, and that's just a tiny bit of his knowledge. His ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You are a child of God. You are more than a conqueror. You're a world overcomer, but you are not God's equal. And the proper prayer posture is one of humility. We should humbly come before God when we come to him in prayer. You are who God says you are. And no less than that, but no more than that either. Number two, I think I could probably stop right there and some folk will walk out of here. He didn't step all on my toes, but we got to go there. A posture of purity. Somebody say purity. Psalm 24 says this, who may climb the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place. Very interesting. Uh, when you talk about heaven, 
you know, uh, there's a man of God by the name of Jesse Duplantis. Many of you are familiar with him, and he believes God took him to heaven. And, and his story does line up with the Bible. One of the things he talked about was how it seems like everything in heaven goes up toward the throne room. So everything is slanted up, and God's sitting like almost at the top of a mountain. And that's what it's saying. Who can climb the mountain of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? Who can come to God's throne? That's what prayer is, coming to the throne, right? Well, clearly the answer isn't everybody. Who can? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies, they will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. Notice then that it's only those whose hands and hearts are pure. One, the, one translation of this says clean or, or innocent. And there's a scripture in the Old Testament that talks about, you know, being individuals who don't lie, individuals who cover our ears so we're not listening to gossip and things like that, who cover our eyes so we're not looking at evil things. There's another there's scripture in the New Testament that talks about how Christians are supposed to be blameless and harmless. We're supposed to be lights in this dark world. And so the Bible is telling us here that is when we live that way, clean lives before God. We, we talked about that not too long ago here at FX Church. Did a series along those lines a little bit. He, he, that's when we are really in the right position for uh, uh, God to hear what we have to say in prayer. And somebody said, well, that's an Old Testament doctrine. That's not necessarily New Testament. Well, look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12 where it says, The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do what? And his ears are open to whose prayers? So not everybody's. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. He was talking to Christians when he said that. He was trying to get Christians to do right, don't do wrong. So you could be a Christian who was practicing the wrong behavior. We're not talking about messing up and saying, I'm sorry. I'm talking about, I'm just living this way. I'm doing what I want to do. You know, I'm saying I'm a Christian, but I, I'm really not living that way. I'm really a practical atheist. I say I believe in God, but I live my life as though God doesn't exist. And God's saying, I don't hear those prayers. I hear the prayers of those who do right. First John 3 talks about the fact that, you know, when we, we ask, we receive from God because we keep his commandments. And do those things which are right in his sight. First Timothy 2 talks about how when we go to God in prayer, we ought to lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting. Those are all New Testament. I know we're in a day and age where a lot of people are talking about grace and thank God for that. But sometimes people get a little off and act like God doesn't expect anything of us. You know, we may not be under the law of the Old Testament, but we are still under the law of Christ. He still asks us to act like, expects us to act like him. Thank you for those two amens. I knew this one wasn't going to get a whole lot of amens anyway. But, you know, there's, a, there's an example in the Old Testament where the Bible talks about, you know, the, the, the Jewish leaders who would go before God with offerings and prayers, and God would not answer them. And they got to the place where they're crying to God because, you know, if God's not answering their prayer, God's not receiving their offering, that means that God's blessing's not going to be in their land. They're going to have famine, and people are going to, you know, they're going to they're gonna be hungry. They're not going to live, et cetera, et cetera. And finally, God said, the reason why I'm not answering your prayers is because of how you've been treating your wives. And what they were doing was that they would get to a certain age and trade their wife in for a younger model. And they had been doing this as a practice. This is just what everybody was doing. And God finally said, you know what? I'm done with you. He said, I'm not listening to you while you're doing that foolishness. And he's still the same God today. You can't live your life in a way that's just wrong 
and then expect to go to God and get God to answer your prayers. You've got to make things right with God. And thank God you can. The Bible says if we as believers confess of our sins, God is faithful and just. He has the right. You can count on him to forgive you and cleanse you of it. The Bible teaches that, you know, we can be like the prodigal son who went away from his father's house and he messed around for a while, but then he came to his senses and realized, you know what, I should be going home. And, and, and we can come home to God and be welcomed with open arms. And God will, once again, he'll restore you and you'll be at that place again where you can ask what you want and, and God's presence will be there with you during that time. But you got to do that. You can't live wrong and expect to pray right. Because the proper prayer posture is a posture of purity. It's kind of like, you know, if, if someone wanted to cook you a meal, they say, I want you to, I want you to check, it, check this out, man, I, I, I can really cook this. I'm, man, I, this is going to be so good. And so then you sit down to watch them cook, and then you notice they don't bother to wash their hands. They're just scratching their hair, picking their nose, and then they're grabbing your food. How many know you're not eating that? Some of y'all are like, I eat anything. Well, that may be you, but I'm not eating that. That's nasty. Right? I'm going to say, can you please wash your hands first? Right? And that's how God is. You're going to come in here with some dirty hands, knowing you're doing wrong, living wrong. And then you want to come into my holy presence? He's still a holy God. You got to get things right. And I'm not telling you every time you go to prayer, you got to repent of every sin that you could ever think of. If I missed it, I don't know why I missed it. Then I don't, no, no, no. We're not talking about having a sin consciousness where you're walking around thinking about how you sin. God wants you to have a righteousness consciousness. He doesn't want you living your life thinking about sin. He wants you thinking about him and, and all things that he wants you to do and all things he has for you to enjoy. But when you know you're wrong, there's a difference. When you know you're wrong. You know, you're smoking weed all week long. Like you've been smoking weed all month long. You know it. And then you're going to try to come to God and like expect God to accept your behavior. That's where you're getting in trouble. And that's the world we're living in right now. Everybody wants people to accept their sin. To the place that we don't accept your sin. Now we're a bigot and we're a hateful and all the other stuff. Because, and the, the reason why that is is because people want God to accept their sin. So since they know he doesn't accept their sin, they at least want to make the people around them accept their sin so they don't feel so guilty. But it doesn't matter if people around you accept it or not, you're still going to feel guilty because you know it's wrong. No, when you know you ain't right, you, you're not going to be able to pray right. So you got to get that right before God. Well, here's another piece of that in Mark chapter 11. It says, but when you are praying, first forgive. Somebody say forgive. Forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against. Well, those claps just stopped, didn't they? So that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Jesus said that. There's a connection between you forgiving others and God being able to do some things in your life. Forgiveness is a purity issue as well. Before you go to God in prayer, you need to make a decision to forgive everybody of everything they have done to you. And this is a good practice when you get up to pray in the morning, to take a moment and check your heart and say, all right, I forgive them and mean it. 
And you might have to forgive somebody every day for a while. I'm just being real. There's some people in my life, it's almost every day, y'all, because it's like it just keeps getting crowded. And then especially when they, they around you and stuff, and they just keep on acting crazy. And then it's like, it's that thing, it's just, you just, is it just me? You know, so that's every day. That's right. I forgive him, God. But you got to do it. In fact, the Bible talks about, there's a scripture in the book of Matthew where if you're about to give an offering and you know somebody has a problem with you, don't even give the offering yet. Go and make it right with them and then come and give the offering. And, of course, the Bible teaches that, you know, you can't always make folk to, to forgive you and make things right. But it says as much as, as, as you are capable, as much as lieth in you is what one translation says, you make peace with all men. God wants peace between you and others. God definitely wants you to forgive others before you come before the God who forgave you of everything you've ever done. All right, number three. I don't know if y'all liking this this morning, but this was not where I was going. I, I really did not expect to preach this message. But this is what God put in my heart. Number three, a posture of authority. A posture of authority. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us come boldly. Come how? Boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Notice he says, come boldly. Come boldly. Now, so God, sometimes when we think about prayer, we think about, you know, some of the things we talked about, we can get into a bit of a ditch and almost like, well, God, I don't, I don't belong here. You know, I did this, I did that, I did the other. No, once you, you ask God for forgiveness, that's taken care of, right? And God is saying, listen, I want you to act like you belong here. I want you to come boldly into my presence. You know, my parents... They have a nice house, and uh, we've been over there for a couple of days. We're in the middle of moving, and how I many know moving stinks? Oh, I hate it. So we're in the middle of this process, and, and so, you know, they were out of town. They were like, hey, y'all, y'all stay over here for a few days rather than me going and doing something a little different. And so they gave us a key. And I guess my mom was giving me a key before, but I, like, never paid attention. Like, which one of these is the key to mom and dad's house? Because I, I would never go over there without them there. But since they were gone, I was like, well, you know, okay, I guess I better pay attention to the key, right? They gave us the codes and all that stuff. So, you know, it was almost weird because I, I forget I grew up in this house. But I'm, like, coming up to the house, and I'm putting the code in, and I'm walking in, and I'm putting the key in. I'm walking in the house like I belong here, and I'm going in the refrigerator. And, and I'm like, man, at first I was like, where, where dad at? Am I going to be in trouble? You know what I mean? Because anybody, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm 43 years old, and I'll still be looking at my dad like, I'm sorry. So, but you know what they did when they gave me the key was they gave me the authority. And they fully expected me to walk in the house, do what I need to do, and then take the garbage out when it needs to be taken out. And what God is telling you is here is that through Jesus, he's given you authority as well. You have the right to be in God's presence. You should act like you should be there. In fact, Hebrews 10, 19 says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter into heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus, not because of what you did. It's because the blood has washed you clean. You are free from all sin. God sees you as though you have never, ever sinned a day in your life. 
By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most, the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. Somebody say, I'm clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. Matthew 16 says this, and that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom, keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. A yes on earth is yes in heaven. A no on earth is no in heaven. God has given you the keys to the kingdom. You have the keys to the throne room. You can come into God's presence anytime you want to, and God expects you to act like you belong there. He doesn't expect you to come into his presence groveling. He doesn't expect you to come into his presence afraid that you don't belong there. He expects you to come boldly into his presence like you are a child of the king. One of the things I, I enjoyed years ago when we were in Atlanta, the, uh, one of the Atlanta Hawks, he became a piston here. His name was Josh Smith. Josh grew up in our church in Atlanta. And so, you know, I had Josh and he was a teenager. And, of course, we watched him go on the NBA and, so after a while, you know, Josh will play for the Hawks, and, and they call us and say, hey, we got, you know, you all want to come to the game. We'd be like, okay. We're not going to argue with that. So we get to sit in the family section, and they have, like, stats right in front of you. And, and then you can go in the back before the game or after the game, and there's all the family there, and they're eating food, and they're, they're drinking, and, you know, and they're, they're enjoying themselves. And, and, you know, when you're not used to that, you, the first couple of times you kind of go over there, and, and you kind of almost want people, you try to avoid eye contact. With the ushers and stuff, right? Because you, you don't want them to think that you don't belong there. And, uh, but what they give you is they give you this tag. And as long as you have this name tag, then you have the right to go anywhere you want to. And so, you know, even with the tag, you might be a little, you know, walk in like, hey. You walk around with your hand on the tag. Nobody else doing that, but you just kind of like, they look at you a little funny like, Right? And, but you, the tag means you have the right to go back there with the family and eat and get to know folk. And, you know, my wife and, her, and a friend of her, a couple of friends of her, they were back there one day, and LeBron James comes walking out. And they're right there. They're like, oh, let's take a picture with LeBron. LeBron, like, cool. And then went on and tried to take a picture with their phone. And what, the battery died? The battery died on the phone. Wow. But, you know, you, there's benefits that comes from being back there. But you can, get, you can go back there because you have the tag. And after doing it a couple of times, I really got to the place where I go back there and I stop thinking about it. Do I belong here? No, I got the tag. You look at me funny, that's your problem. I got a tag on. <laughs> Went in the back, where the food at? Let me go get some, like, like my, my son played for the Atlanta Hawks, right? <laughs> but this really the transition you got to make in prayer. You might first start off kind of like, well, God, I th in the name of Jesus, the blood has washed away my sin. You said I can come boldly to you. So don't strike me down. But after a while, you got to get to the place where you got revelation that, yeah, I'm clean because what Jesus did was enough to wipe the slate clean. God sees me as his son or as his daughter. I belong here. Hey, God, how you doing? Talk about this today. That's proper prayer posture. When you have a posture of authority. Number four, a posture of faith. A posture 
of faith. Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. You know, there's not a lot of things the Bible says is impossible. But here's one of the few. It's not possible to please God without faith. Now, if we were to back up one scripture, we find out that the story they're telling is the story we started this series off with. Enoch walked with God. He had an interactive relationship with God, and it was so good. God was so pleased that he made him the first raptured man, just took him to heaven. And so now God is telling us that really the key to that relationship that Enoch had with God was his faith. That is not without, without faith, we can't please God like he pleased God. So faith is extremely important. There's an entire chapter on faith in the book uh, in the Bible. We're reading from it right now in Hebrews chapter 11. Well, what is faith? Faith is a firm persuasion. It's 100% confidence in God and his word. But this is confidence that you have not in your head but in your heart. A lot of people say, I'm in faith and God didn't do anything. If you were in faith, God would have done something. We call mental faith. Uh, faith. When the Bible, Bible faith is of your heart. Did you take enough time to put to write God's word, to tattoo His words on your heart, so that you find you believe? You almost can't talk yourself out of believing. That's faith. And God's saying, without that, it's impossible to please God. Well, well how does it apply to prayer? Well, He goes on to say, for he who comes to God, that's prayer, must believe. What do you must? You must believe. You're coming to God in prayer. You must believe. This does not work without you believing. The proper prayer posture is a posture of faith. What do you believe? You must believe that He is. You gotta believe He exists, first of all. So you can't say, Well, God, if you're there, well, your prayer ain't working. You gotta know He's there. You gotta know God exists. And, and, and of course, if God exists, God exists, which means He's omnipotent. He's able to do whatever it is you want him to ask. you got to believe God's able to fix this. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. you got to believe ultimately that God will reward you with what you ask for. you got to go into God's presence expecting to leave it with a yes. Amen. You got to go believing that, 100% confident. When I say amen, it's done. First John said it that way. He said, this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, we know we have what we ask for. That's what prayer does. Prayer goes in saying, I'm, a, I'm leaving this place with what I came for. And, and, and so faith is really, it's your garage door opener, Right? You know, you, you got a garage door opener. You know, if you press the button, there's, I don't know if it's a frequency or what, but whenever you press that button, the frequency goes out and the garage door opens, you have access to the house. Faith is the garage door opener. You got to press the button of faith when you go before God in prayer. You got to say, all right, I'm coming in here believing that God is. I believe that, hey, I believe God loves me. I believe that God's going to give me what I ask for. And God will do just that. You know, and, and this, is, this is really important. I mean, James 1 said it this way. It says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. He gives it freely. He doesn't hold it back. But ask in faith, nothing wavering. For, for, it goes on to say, 
Because the person that asks wavering won't receive anything of God. God said, if you come up in here wishy-washy, you're not getting nothing. That's, that's the, the, the Andre Butler way of saying that. 1 Timothy 2.8, I mentioned earlier, the Bible says we ought to lift up holy hands without wrath, but it also says, and doubting. Without wrath and doubting. Mark 11.24 says, when you pray, believe, you receive it. When? When you pray. Before you see it. And you will have it. So faith is so important. I better make sure I have some faith before I go and ask God for things in particular. Particularly when I'm praying that prayer of faith. And, and how do I do that? Well, I like something that Kenneth Hagin said. He said, you need to find Scripture that promise you what you need from God. Because then you have a foundation for faith. So if I'm coming to God for healing, let me go into the Bible and let me see what the Bible says about healing. Oh, 1 Peter 2.24, by his stripes I am healed. Oh, James chapter 5, the prayer of faith will heal the sick. Let me, let me look at some of these scriptures until these things are living on the inside of me till the light has come on. Now let me go ask God. And this is the problem we have sometimes is that we pray too quickly for things. Sometimes we go into prayer and we're not ready to pray. You're not believing, you're hoping. And hope does not give you the answer that you need. Faith gets you the answer. So sometimes what you need to do is you need to find the scriptures that promise you what God, what you want from God and, and stay with them until you know that I'm 100% confident I got it. Now I'm boldly coming into God's presence, completely expecting to walk out with what I'm asking for. We can spend more time on that, but we need a posture of faith. Last one, a posture of praise. A posture of praise. Let me say about faith. We did a series a couple weeks ago on this uh, called Ships. If you want to learn more about that, you can find that on our social media. I just got to keep moving. But a posture of praise. Psalm 100 says this. Verse 2, come before him singing with joy. One translator says, come into his presence with singing. Well, prayer is coming before him, right? Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. It's really interesting to me is that God is talking about us entering the gates of heaven, entering the courts of God. If we were to read the 99th Psalm, kneeling at God's footstool, not when we get to heaven. Now, if you make a follower of Jesus, then one day you're going to do that when you get to heaven. But he's talking about the fact that we can do this right now. You enter his gates now. You enter his courts now, you bow before him now. You come boldly to the throne of grace right now. As we said last week, as far as God is concerned, when you are praying to him, it's like you just entered the literal throne room. And you really ought to see it the same way. And so he's telling us that when you come into God's presence, you ought to come praising him. You ought to come praising him. And, and it's, it's, it's not all that different than if you've ever gone, been to a boxing match and, uh, or you can even see it on television. You know, before the boxer comes out, some music starts playing, right? 
They usually pick something out that they feel like will represent this boxer. You know, so maybe it's some rap, some hip-hop. Who knows what it is. And then, so the music starts playing, and then you see them coming in. And then you get the reaction of the crowd. And God is saying, hey, man, before you, you come into my presence, I need to hear some music. I, I need my music playing. I need you to take some time and praise me. In fact, he tells us here that we ought to enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving. So first of all, let me take a moment before I start talking about what I'm missing, what I need, let me thank God for what he's already done for me. Because I don't care who you are, I don't care what you're going through, God has done something for you. You've got something to be thankful for, if nothing else, than the fact that you're sitting here right now breathing. And, you know, there's nobody in this room naked, so you got some clothes on your back. And most of us have somebody in our life that cares about us. And if you really were to just take the time and start thinking about all the things that God has done for you, the things you have that you really could be thankful for, that would change your attitude. So you can't go into prayer, you know, you might go in feeling depressed, but you can't stay there. You got to make a decision to shift your focus, to shift your satellite dish. Stop keeping your eyes down on the ground and lift them up to God and start thinking about on purpose the good things in my life. That's a big part of getting out of depression, thinking about God has done this and God has done that. And, hey, God was merciful to me. I that should have taken me out. But God took care of me. And God gave me this job. Or God gave me, hey, I got some money. There's always something to thank God for. And God is saying, when you enter into prayer, you need to enter thanking me. Sometimes you should be thanking God for what you want God to do. Thank you, Lord, that you healed my body. Because the word says, by your stripes I am healed. Thank you, Lord, you've given me with, I mean, but the bottom line is you've got to enter thanking God. That's the right way to do it. But, of course, he didn't just say enter his gates with thanksgiving. He said enter his courts with praise. Praise is ultimately, you know, boasting about God. That word means to laud, right? So you're, 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 you're putting, you know, I like to say you're putting his name in neon lights. You know, when we come to the music hall, you can see the, the marquee, right? It's like you're putting his name up there. Jesus is healer, provider, protector, master, savior. Anybody remember that Steve Harvey introduction of Jesus? I mean, some of y'all might remember that. And he just went down this line just talking about how great Jesus is. That's really what you ought to be doing when you go into prayer. The Bible talks about praising him for his wonderful acts. So I'm not just thanking him. I'm telling him, man, you are so good. Because you did this for me. You're so good you protected my child. You're so good you gave me this job. You're so good you had somebody tell me about Jesus so I could be a part of your family. You're so good you gave me a church family in downtown Detroit called FX Church. Come on, you're so good, God, that you got to praise. It, it, it does something. Psalm 22 and verse 3 tells us what it does. It says, but you are holy. O thou that inhabits the praises of Israel. The word inhabit here means to sit down in. So I've said that when you pray, it's kind of like you're going to the throne room, but really technically it's kind of the opposite. When you go into prayer and you start thanking God and praising God, let's just say you're in your family room. 
actually God comes down and sits in the middle of your family room. And wherever God is sitting, that's the throne. So really, will you take wherever you are and you turn it into the throne room? When you take the time to thank God and to praise God for what he is doing in your life, what he's already done in your life, you begin to boast about how good he is, how awesome he is. That's why we start our experiences the way we do. We always start off praising God, talking about how good he is, talking about King Jesus, and there's no one like him. We even get into some worship. Why? You ever notice how the, the presence of God falls in this place? Today, we entered into prayer. People got set free immediately. They're talking about having a, that dark cloud over their lives. It started dissipating. God started dealing with some people about something. Why? Because he sat down in this place. He, he settled in. That happens when you pray. You can have that every day. You don't have to wait to come to church to get that freedom. You don't have to wait to come to church to be in God's presence. God wants you to invite him into your home every day. And the proper prayer posture for that to happen is when you enter into his presence with praise. And when he shows up, then you worship him. Because that worship comes from the word worship, which means you're telling him that he's worthy. He is the only God. He is the almighty God. He's worthy of all glory and honor and praise. He is the one that should be getting all of that praise. There's a song that, that we like. I, I like it. It's worthy of every song we could ever sing and worthy of all the praise that we could ever bring. You're worthy of every breath I could ever breathe. We live for you. You're a holy God. There's no one like you. That's worship. And that's the next thing that you do once you, you enter into his presence. You, you start thanking God. Then you praise God. Then you worship God. And now you're ready to talk to God. And God will talk to you. And God will strengthen you. And God will stir up the joy of the Lord on the inside of you. And God will do great things in your life because you are now walking with him. You can carry the presence of God on you all day long. And that's why you can pray for somebody and they get healed. And God can help you to do miracles because you started your day the right way. You came before God with the proper prayer posture. And God was able to have a big impact on your life. So I want to challenge you as we did last week. Walk with God. As we go through 21 days of prayer, don't, you know, be somebody that hears about it. Get up tomorrow. In fact, you can, you can join in online. They have it on demand. So if you're like, I ain't getting up at 7 a.m., do it at 12. Do it at 2. But get up. Just take this time. If you've never had a prayer life, try it. For the next 14 days, just try it. Get up and come before God with humility. Come before God like you got the right to be there. Come make sure you, if you got something wrong in your life, get that right with God. Believe that he's going to be there. He's going to answer what you pray for. Come before him thanking him and praising him and worshiping him. And you'll know what it's like to truly walk with God. Come on, stand your feet if you will for a moment. I just want us to take a moment, just a moment, and praise God in this place right now. Because God, is he worthy of praise? Is he worthy of glory? If there's something in your life that God has done for you, 
If you've got something to be thankful for, we're not going to take long. I just want you to take about the next 60 seconds and thank God. Thank him, praise him, worship him. Forget about everybody around you. Just lift your hands and give God thanks and glory. Go ahead and praise him, worship him. Thank you, Father. You've been so good to me. Thank you, Father. You've been so good to my family. You've blessed me with my wife and my kids. You've blessed me with my sisters and my parents. You've blessed me by having me talk about you at an early age. You've been merciful to me so many times I didn't deserve it. You put, you put food on my table and clothes on my back. You provided miracle after miracle when I needed it. You are a good God. You are a faithful God. I can count on you. You are mighty. You are a miracle worker. You are someone that's moving even now. And you're worthy of all praise and worthy of all glory. You're worthy of every breath I breathe being spent worshiping you. Because there is no one like you. You are a consuming fire. You are the bright and morning star. You are Elohim, the creator of this universe. You are the almighty God. I worship you, God. I worship you. Worthy are you, Lord. Worthy is the King. Holy Spirit, have your way right now as we worship you. Have your way heal in this place. Reveal yourself to those that have not known you. Speak to our hearts. Lift our spirit. Set us free from depression, anger. Heal us. We worship you. Thank you for tuning in to another Faith Experience Podcast. Remember, God has a future for you.